0: to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour podcast series. Today I'm recording the very first in the Secret City series for the European Tour and the big reveal is I'm in Cardiff. I'm in Cardiff with Matt Stone. Welcome Matt. (laughs) Thank you, yeah. It's great great to have you here. I'm looking forward to this first Cardiff episode and we're going to be talking about the first two months of going consulting. Yes. I know this is quite fresh to you. Very fresh, yeah. 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 It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, I'd like to give thanks to the NatWest Accelerator here in Cardiff. I've just done a tour and it's a a great space, whether you're in a startup, a scale-up, or looking to, to straighten up your business. So I recommend checking out their website. Now, this tour and every single episode of the Product Coalition um, European Tour is all dedicated to raising awareness and funds for the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife of Australia. Uh, If you enjoy this episode, please show your support to these amazing causes by visiting bushfire.productcoalition.com, or if you'd like to know about the tour as a whole, head over to tour.productcoalition.com. So I'm originally visiting five cities, six with this bonus city being, being Cardiff, and I'm traveling to meet product leaders and professionals all around Europe to gain insights and knowledge and really share as much as I possibly can from these people back to the global community. Now, before we get started, I need to give a huge thanks to the following brands and individuals who have been major donors to the tour fundraiser. Um, First up, I've got UserPilot. UserPilot is a code-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates, and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours, and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to Build fully customizable, behaviour triggered in app experience with experiences, sorry, with a simple visual editor. Go to userpilot.com to book your demo and get a free trial. Thank you to UserPilot for your donation. Shobit Chug is the Intentional Product Manager. Shobit's a Google Product Manager and he helps product managers to become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Go to www.intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Shobit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build on boarding flows, and gather user feedback. You can give that a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. Two personal thanks for me is Rich Miranoff and Chris Miles as well. Matt, we can get started. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay, so on all of my podcasts, I've had this icebreaker. In Sydney, it was uh, a pub quiz. In Melbourne, it was a local's guide. Now, for Cardiff, I've gone with, is it Welsh or not? Okay. That's the name of the game. (laughs) Not Um, being Welsh, I might struggle (laughs) with that. (laughs) So, th- this is going to be thoroughly enjoyable, yeah. Um, so, y- you're obviously not, not from Wales?
1: No, I'm not from Wales, but I've worked here for, for two years. Yeah, right,
0: yeah. okay. That's good enough, good enough. Um, okay, so the, the fir- we've got two products first up. Um, well, one's not really a product, but anyway. First up is the microphone. Is it Welsh or not? Gosh. Is it invented by a Welsh man or lady or not?
1: That sounds obtuse enough to be true, so I'm going to go True? True. You're right. Ah.
0: According to my trusty source, The Internet, which says, of course, Edison invented the idea of a microphone when he placed the carbon telephone transmitter inside a telephone and therefore transmitting the voice. But David Edwards-Hughes from Bala, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly, refined the idea of a microphone as a way of electronically transmitting an acoustic signal and paved the way for the modern microphone that we're using today. There we go. Great. All right, next up is... The eight-hour work day.
1: Gosh. Um, I'll say false. Why? Um, it just feels like an American thing. America, you think? Yeah.
0: yeah the eight-hour day? Yeah. Are you saying the Welsh don't
1: work hard enough? Well, they definitely work hard. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, they play hard as well. They work well, so but. hard they would never want an eight-hour day. Just <laughs> give me some more hours. <laughs> I'm not uh, going yeah, home until yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Um, so you'd be right by saying it's not Welsh; it's actually Australian.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Okay. In
0: 1856, the Aussie stonemasons took action to ensure a standard eight-hour working day, which then became recognised world, worldwide. If only they had demanded a six-hour workday instead. Oh, quite, quite. But um, we actually celebrate day in Victoria. We have Labor Day, which is a, a bank holiday to celebrate. Um, defining that. Um, and last up, Matt, we've got some Welsh vocabulary.
1: Oh gosh, okay. is it
0: is it a Welsh word or not? Okay, okay. I'll try not to
1: insult anybody <laughs> with this one. In two years,
0: <laughs> I'm hoping that you've integrated yourself into the Welsh society. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely know? fluent.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> all of the road signs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first word is "cuffingal." You know, like put on your cuffingal. Is that a Welsh word, or is it not?
1: I'm going to say not a Welsh word. I won't ask why. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, you'd be
1: correct. Oh. I
0: made that up in the coffee shop this morning. That's very good. Um, the next one is a,
1: is a Goody Who. Goody Who, I think is true. Why? It's just ringing a bell somewhere. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Like, go check out the Goody Who. <laughs> go you'd be correct. Oh, it is. It's Welsh for owl. Oh, okay. okay. And um, what about... Um, pick me up some mooklies.
1: That sounds false but could well be true. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go false. False? Yeah. It's true. Ah. Oh.
0: Um, mooklies is, is Welsh for beads or a necklace apparently. There you okay. go. Every day, school day. Now <laughs> two, two years in Cardiff, What? what's your favourite landmark, what's your favourite spot when, when you're in this city, what do you really enjoy, well, what do you enjoy being most of all?
1: Yeah I mean if you're a sp- You're a sports fan. Um, There's two fantastic stadiums here. I think we were talking about the football team earlier, weren't we? So um, yeah, looks, uh, there's great, great sports atmosphere here. I think if you're not into sports, there's also a great arena here as well. Um, They attract probably the best um, in the Southwest area in terms of, um, you know, talents and and big shows. There's not really another stadium like that for quite, quite a large area. So, you know, if you're in the area there's usually some some good acts to be good sports using, uh,
0: yeah. yeah okay cool um right let, let's get stuck into um what's fresh for you the first two months of going consulting yes so d- d- could you give us a bit of a, a bit of your background matt and um before we talk about the last two months for you uh, what, what's happened before that how did you get into product
1: yeah okay so i actually started as a software engineer, um, and I've been recovering ever since. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I spent um, about 10 years working for General Electric. Right, okay. And um, during that time, I was doing all sorts of very heavy engineering. So it was software, but it was also hydromechanical, electrical engineering. And it was all for um, equipment that would go on uh, the seabed. And it was used right. um, to help with um, oil extraction, so around oil rigs. So very, very deep, very, very specific technology taught me a lot about um, how engineering works, not just within the software world, but outside of it and how those disciplines have to kind of work together. Um, I had an opportunity with those guys to basically go on a fast track into uh, originally research and development management. So Mm. I was running projects for those guys, um, all kind of based around large purchases that were being done by oil companies. Um, and during that time, I actually met another product manager that, that happened to be working for these guys, and it was, it was it was like an instant thing. I think a lot of product managers relate to this, where it was just like that's that's me, that's what I want to be doing. Um, so I basically spent the next five years just nagging them to let me become a product manager as as quickly as possible. And you know, to their to their credit, they they gave me a break and they let me do it. I was the youngest product manager I think that they'd ever had at that time, so it was a, it was it was a real like like honor and credit that they did that for me, um, and that was in about 2012 2013. Right. Um, so I spent another three or four years working for the guys that were doing oil extraction. And during that time, um, General Electric then launched a program to do uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence at a global scale across all of the machines that they would sell. Wow. Uh, okay. So it was uh, all based in San Ramon in California. Um, and they, they, they approached me one day. They said they'd like me to be part of that journey that they were going on there, which, again, was just a fantastic compliment to, yeah, to join yeah. that. Um, it was a crazy time they were spending, st- like, I think they were saying a billion dollars a year kind right. I launched this thing that they were developing. Right, okay. Um, so, and again, it was just a fantastic crash course in everything about how to launch yeah, right. big scale data led products, beta, you know, lots and lots of learnings in there. Right. Um
0: and again, in the resources space? Yes, yeah, so yeah. it,
1: um, it was everything from aviation through to um, nuclear wow. power turbines, oil plants, okay, you name it. Yeah, so anything that's got like heavy machinery. Yeah. They were trying to develop a software platform that spoke to and used the data from the machines as opposed to right, okay. the, the more traditional platforms that you might know about, so yeah, like right. AWS and Azure, and those stacks are based on consumer data and how right. people work the platform that GE were trying to build was based around how machines would talk to each other, so it was kind of built from the ground up. For
0: IoT at an industrial scale. Stuff, yeah, machine right. To okay.
1: Machine talking. Brilliant. So it was a, it was a fantastic challenge to be yeah. a part of, and they were really tackling head-on some, some very difficult concepts, things right. things that even even today, you know, four years on, we're still trying to right. wrap our heads around and, and figure out how to make this stuff all kind of gel together. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was great to be at the at the, at the beginning of that stuff.
0: Cool. Yeah. So, so from, from there, is that when you made the jump into product consulting?
1: It wasn't. So right, okay. uh, I had another stint. So I, um, I'd spent a lifetime in B2B and um, mm. I, I really enjoyed product management. And what I wanted to do to round myself out was to spend a bit of time working on consumer facing products as well as everything I'd learned through GE. So I had an opportunity to join um, Go Compare. So, for those of you who aren't uh, uh, UK based, they're a price comparison website. Um, they're one of the big four in the UK, and they. What was exciting for me about joining those guys is that they were looking at how they could go beyond you going to a website. I'm not sure if you have this kind of thing in Australia. We I'm do. Not, so yeah. I worked
0: for the Australian equivalent. Actually, ah, ah, I select. Okay. Yeah. Ah, great.
1: Yeah. Okay, so you know the challenge, right? Which is, um, you know, buying insurance or switching energy is super boring. You never really want to do it. Um, and you're only really ever visiting that website once a year, and then you're off again. And often you don't even remember that you've got an account with these guys. You know, you only do it when you're in that moment of need. So the challenge that these guys have is, how on earth do they convince you to use and be sticky with a service over multiple periods? So they were, exp- and and to their credit, they were experimenting with different models. So oh. the comparison space and the insurance space is is something that hasn't really changed for, for many, many years. and People are still very, very frustrated with the whole process there. So they were looking at seriously how they could have improved that, and they brought me in to to, to effectively launch one of their first versions of that, which was an auto-switching service. Yep. So it kind of went beyond you know once or twice and you having to take action mm. um, and giving you instead something that you gave permission to act on your behalf at regular intervals to be able to to do that um so that was a fantastic time again a a really great crash course in everything about um b2c and consumer-led products and how to create stickiness with products um if i remember that that auto
0: switching product that that disrupted market in itself because you no longer needed to do any applications for new power companies and therefore month by month Almost or quarter by quarter, you're on the cheapest supplier. So that was a disruptive product, exactly. from what I remember when yeah, it came yeah. to market.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a couple of folks that do this now, but it was all kind of based in the premise of there's nothing really that's changing. Electricity is energy, electricity, right? Yeah, as long as it's like, on, there's yeah. no like there's, there's no version like premium energy, right? So it's just how much <laughs> you're spending, and you can't you know, charge your iPhone any quicker by paying more. It, exactly. Yeah. And the mad thing is, you know, half the people that are listening to this could save 300 pounds a year right now and i mean right now with about 15 seconds effort right most people don't do it yeah right right because and i know what goes through your mind because it goes through my mind as well it's a faff like is it real you know all that stuff so so the point was to that okay you may switch energy but most people do it once and then they never do it again yeah when you move in right that's it so why not take on a service where that, that can kind of deal with that hassle for you? You've given it permission. You've given it all your details. Um, and and then, you know, it can be the thing that's kind of dealing with that hassle on, on your behalf year after year to make sure that you're not being ripped off on a bill.
0: Right. Can I ask, how, how did you manage um, and find that transition going from big industrial B2B to B2C?
1: <laughs> it was crazy. Was was there a, yeah. a mental
0: shift? Was there big differences? Really, that you really found? big shift. It actually right. took
1: me a while to adjust. When right, I, mean, okay. I was going from a from a team of three hundred thousand to three hundred. Well, that's a shift. So in it itself. was yeah. phenomenal, and I think the major thing that I observed was in a large organisation, you spend a lot of time presenting concepts that can permeate multiple layers in the business. So you have to get really, really good at condensing down your prospect or what you're trying to explain into a simple message. That can go across multiple layers of management. Um, whereas in a smaller organization, you can you can have a much higher bandwidth conversation directly with the founder, the CEO, whoever it happens to be. So, and that that has always been my my philosophy on why smaller organizations get to move quicker mm-hmm. is because they can have more quality conversations yeah, right. um, without having to get alignment across multiple layers of the business. So it was actually a great, I saw it as a great opportunity to accelerate everything that I'd learned. I could peel away a couple of the pieces that I was forced to do in a larger organization yeah. just to make sure that things happen and shortcut to action. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic.
0: Yeah. So from Go Compare.
1: So from Go GoCompare, um, yeah, so as of two months ago, yeah, uh, so I, I finally scratched that itch, which was that I was uh, wanting to work for myself. And I've had a bit of success in the past um, running two small side projects. They kind of went okay. um, But I always wanted to do the, the, for that to be my my main uh, thing that I did day to day. Go all in. Yeah, exactly. GoPro. And I I struggled mentally for a long time about what product I was going to launch in the market. I was saying to myself, you know, I'm not going to switch out of permanent employment until I find the product, the thing that I believe in enough to quit. And the epiphany that I had was the product and actually everything I could sell was everything that I was learning about product management. It was one of the reasons I got into product management in the first place is because you get that great exposure to so many working functions of a business. And again, my, 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 my theory was during that time, I'd also get exposure to lots of different products and that would spark something in me that kind of said, okay, that's definitely the thing I want to do. But actually what I've, what I've come to realize is all these skills that I've acquired are, are saleable services in their own right um and i've definitely you know through my through 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 everything i've seen actually product managers very interestingly are well positioned out of out of all the possible disciplines that could get into consultancy product mm. managers themselves actually have quite a natural fit for for consultancies right um, which is really interesting
0: fantastic so well what was do you think your your biggest barrier to to making that switch, so it was two months ago. So yeah. this itch must have been there for six a months a year yeah oh, prior yeah. probably my been, whole career. Right. <laughs> so what 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 happened the day that you decided? What what was it that that just went? Yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I mean, what was that moment?
1: I think it was you know when you kind of look through the next year ahead and you're going, what what is it that you want to achieve? And my journey with go compare, although fantastic. Was coming to an end, and I had basically a choice as to whether I went out and sought permanent employment, joined somebody else's mission, somebody else's campaign. And I was sitting back in that moment and going, you know, and looking through the job sites. And obviously, it's super quiet in December anyway. When you're looking at this stuff, sitting back and realizing actually, the the most appealing thing would be something that I could forge for myself. So, um, I just kind of went, "That's great. Let's let's do it." And I think, you know, very specifically, the next step that I took from there was to um, pick the brains of as many consultants as I could. Right. So I I, I recognized this. This was a completely new angle for me. I've been a permanent employee forever. I've been thinking about launching products and i would gotten pretty good at, at kind of testing ideas and stuff, but I'd never tested the idea of being a consultant myself. So... Typical product manager, wanting data as quickly as yeah. possible and wanting yeah, to lovely. test an idea. You
0: put it for a discovery. That's it. Brilliant. Yeah.
1: And so I uh, very luckily through my network, and again, I'm super gracious for everybody who gave me time, um, was able to secure phone interviews and conversations with about seven or eight well-known consultants in the UK. Right. Um, and they just gave me an absolute download of all of their you know, lessons, how they got started, you know, things that they would advise on. And uh,
0: sorry, mate, these independent consultants like it a yourself, as
1: a, or big consulting firms like the BCGs
0: and, and, that, and Deloitte and those types of things. Yeah,
1: it was a mix. Right. So it was everybody from independent consultants right. through to much larger okay. Deloitte. Um, and I also spoke to folks that worked for like SME sized agencies as well. Right. So, um, you know, And a mix in that as well, so product management specialist organisations, but also um, folks that worked inside of a larger group, so product management was an element of what that agency did, and again what I was trying to test there was what type of consultant did I want to be, and I think, I think anybody who's thinking about going into consultancy will, will come up against the same thing, and there's, there's, there's definitely benefits of going and working for a larger agency, it's basically that the stream of work is going to be much more assured, Um, you you can walk in at a a junior level potentially and be leveled up whilst you're there. For me, the big attraction though was to um, work directly with organisations on my own terms. And with that, what I was also trying to do was carve out a space to work with um, SMEs and scale-ups that perhaps weren't interesting to these larger agencies. And again, it's just, it was a kind of mind over heart thing. Like I can, I, I could the conversation I had in my head was I can go and work for one of these larger agencies. Mm. They can give me a salary. They'll bring the work in, you know, and I can kind of sit there on the line and and deal with things as they come in. But to me, that wasn't exciting. So my, uh, my heart was actually in, and the mission that I wanted to go on was I want to go and meet and help a bunch of fledgling businesses really get their to their potential.
0: Right. Okay. So that's, you've been really precise is what I'm hearing in nine year addressable market. Yeah, and have you focused geographically as a consultant around the sort of Bristol, Cardiff area in the southwest of England here, or um, have you sort of just gone anyone in the UK? Uh, I'm happy <laughs> to jump on a flight. <laughs> is, is that factored in? Because you know, with the software products, yeah, you can do it from anywhere. Yeah, as we you can, know. But you can. as a consultant, there's obviously a lot of face to face. There is. Yeah, um, and h- how's that factored into?
1: I think. I mean, the first thing to say is I spent the last two years commuting into Wales from Bristol right. in the southwest, so that was about a hundred miles round trip. So, right. um, as I'm only two months in, I'm taking advantage of the fact that I don't have to have a commute right now, yeah. <laughs> or at least not too often. Um, so, yeah. I'm focusing on businesses in Bristol at the moment right, okay. um, for two reasons: they're on my doorstep, my network is here as well but my intention absolutely is to create something that's transferable regardless of the geography um and certainly there are lots of exciting hubs in the UK alone of 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 spaces where very interesting companies are starting to grow up so take bristol for example which is just across the the pond here um, uh, there's something like 10,000 technology companies there so that and they're attracting um investment at a level which is only um really out- outnumbered by london right okay so there's this interest so london is very very well established and i think people know london well mm. as a, as a center of innovation but there's a great movement happening right now where that innovation and those best practices are starting to come out to some of the larger um, uh, uh, s- secondary layer of, um cities in the uk
0: yep yep so perfect uh, like
1: bristol Cambridge. Yes, Manchester, yeah, you know, right. all these okay. kind of big places. And
0: um, uh, Bristol uh correct me if I'm wrong, from memory, um is the home of aerospace in Britain, like Boeing yes, or, or someone. Uh, they,
1: uh, um, uh, 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 oh I'm gonna have my mind blank now. <laughs> So right. it's uh, not Airbus. part of the quiz. Airbus. Airbus. Right. There we yeah. go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um yes, yeah. so the wings of the A three eighty were made right. in okay. Bristol. So they did all of that heavy engineering there. Right. And they have a they have a, a aviation space and a heavy industry space as well. So that's where I worked with um General Electric as well. They do a lot of stuff with um carbon composites. So they've got the National Carbon Composite Centre in Bristol. Right. As well. Um and they've got so they've got the large centres, but they've also got a great collection of incubators much like cardiff does as well where you find these smes and um, scale up organizations that are looking for that support to kind of get to the next level so great great if i kind of encompass the whole southwest of england and wales area there's a great nexus of um, very exciting things that are happening here at the moment and there's a great opportunity to to help a bunch of companies some in in the kind of work that i'm doing
0: would I be correct in bringing up Isambard Kingdom Brunel yes, and you him would. to Bristol as well? Yes, I yes. Bet there was an innovator. <laughs> he was,
1: yes. Yeah, I was actually trying to find some great quotes of his to use as uh, some content that <laughs> Should was... Should have done the, the
0: quiz on Bristol, not Cardiff at the start, and you would have nailed it. <laughs> um, so c- can you tell me, talk to me a little bit, Matt, about um, how do you differentiate yourself as a consultant when, yeah. when you're getting face-to-face or, right. or meet, meeting people?
1: Yeah, you know, I think about that challenge more in terms of, like any product, you've got to make sure that you've understood the problem correctly about what these businesses need to achieve. You can imagine, particularly in the world of consultations, they are being barraged day in, day out by the Deloitte message. Um, you know, you know, even, they're also kind of getting management consultants. So consultant can mean so many different things. Yeah, right. So what I spent a lot of time refining with talking through consultants and also talking to business owners was what are the problems that these kind of organizations are having and therefore where would product management add a lot of value really, really quickly. So it, it's it's perhaps not surprising, but it's all kind of in the space of they, they've they achieved first wins potentially with what they're doing. So they may have a couple of customers, let's say 10, 20 customers in the B2B space, maybe a couple of hundred or thousand in the B2C space. But they really are unclear about how to get that to a 1,000 in the B2B space or a 100,000 to a million in right. the B2C space. And not only are they unclear about what the proposition should be, they're, they're unclear even how to kind of st- start to address that problem. Like, How do they even test without risking everything because an SME is so close to the wire in terms of cash flow all the time? How do they test that quickly and find out exactly what they should be bringing to market to achieve that kind of scale. So because of that, I've kind of taken all those kind of best practices that that we as product managers get to know really, really quickly um, around validation, around A-B testing, around user interviews, and repackaging that with language that a business owner would understand right. in terms of the problem that it solves for. So for example, let's say that there is a challenge of an organization which um, has a beta that they've created. Um, and I'm going to use a B2B example just because that's more of my background. right? So, so they've, they've created a product and they've won two major projects. And those major projects now are consuming 80% of their development resource. right? And these projects are now asking for custom features. So what's happening is that they're developing effectively a project and a bespoke solution for that one customer. But they know that if they want to get five customers, 10 customers, they've got to figure out how on earth they pick between all those possible things that they're developing effectively for free on these projects right. and turn those into things that can um, be packaged up. They can be configured really, really quickly, you know, s- scaled right. to yep. multiple customers. Right. So one of the packages and one of the things I help with is to do a discovery process inside of the things that they've already created. Okay. So they, what, the way that that looks is that we would kind of go through why the customer needed that and whether that is something that we can test with other customers to see whether that scales beyond. And again, it's, that's a great exercise for that company to go through because they they feel like they've got a, a choice. They've either, got to follow the money and develop something for that business or they've got to step aside and not make money but build something modular that can scale so what i help them with is to basically um, have their cake and eat it and recognize how they can use projects and the wins and where they've found opportunities to, to naturally grow scalable products
0: um, I'm here, I'm thinking of feature factory, like you're, you're like trying to prevent them from becoming a feature factory basically, in, in, basically in, that. in what they're doing yeah. and and reassessing the value of what they've already created. Because, I mean, we know as product people, the fact that you've got a feature, it needs supporting, it needs ongoing testing, etc., cetera, yep. even beyond the yep. life of bringing it to market. That's it, yeah. Um, okay, can, can I ask, how have you found that uh, um, when, when you've critiqued what they've already got? do you discover things that aren't being used and how do you position that to maybe take things out of the product or the service offering and how's that received
1: you know what i often find is that those kind of features are already resented right okay they they feel like they a necessary it. evil they know right. that they don't you know they they it just it's even if it's just an instinct yep. they feel like it's away from the core so often all they really need is permission to take that out and to focus on the right thing, so it's kind of a, a negative and a positive. It's a carrot and stick piece, right? So, so the 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 kind of benefit is to say, um, this is consuming a lot of your capacity for not much value. So again, it's in terms of the business owner is t- used to attributing right. So they're looking at maximum value for every penny that's spent. This is costing you a lot. Doesn't look like it has a lot of future in it. Move away. But that that in itself is not enough. You have to fill it with something else, uh, which is the catch-22 on this stuff, right? So it's saying, if we weren't to do that thing and we were to create that capacity in the organisation, what is the most important feature to be developing right now? And if we don't know that, how can we go and understand and discover that through all the successful engagements and talking to all the prospective customers that we'd like to acquire?
0: Right, okay. Can I ask... in? In the product space, we've got metrics to measure success for what what we're doing. Yeah. As a consultant, how are you? Do you what metrics are you picking? <laughs> to, <laughs> I mean, an obvious one is you're able to afford to eat, and um, yes. now you've made this yeah. change. Um, yeah. But but how you how do you measure the effectiveness of consultancy?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting. Again, I I, I tackled I I noodled on this one a lot. Right, okay. Um. I recognised that because it was just me to start with. Um. My my major um value was uh, my my major limiting factor was my time right but I had to get maximum value from any time any contact that I had with um prospective customers. I also was realistic with myself up front that not everybody is going to buy my services, so I built myself a classic conversion funnel Brilliant. and I said, okay, I want to for me to fill my capacity to what I can achieve um I need to have. I think I worked out about five or six engaged customers a month, whether that's a retainer or a one-off workshop. And so I worked back from that and said, okay, huh. of of those five or six, let's assume that maybe 10% of the people I talk to is actually going to be uh, interested in doing that stuff. And then I added another fifty percent contingency on top of that because people, like you know, don't have time; they don't read emails, whatever it is. So that gave me a number of approximately a hundred people that I needed to talk to, right? Really, really quickly, and then and then try and trickle people down the funnel. That's a long way of saying I've had a lot of coffee <laughs> in the last two months and, and met a lot of people. And, and I imagine,
0: yeah, that, that's quite a brave thing to do. You know, I mean, you've gone from a being a software engineer into. Working in R and D in a global, very safe, big company into a, shifting completely into consumer space, commuting into Cardiff every day, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you got to pick up the phone to a hundred people. Yes. Um, it, it, did that come natural to you, or was uh, that
1: a fight? I, you know, I did struggle with it actually. Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, the classic imposter syndrome started to kick in. Right, okay, I was um really struggling with whether I was going to be able to add value to these guys right. but again talking with other consultants really helped to relax me about that stuff and they they right. helped me right they they help me understand that um you know some of the concepts we talk about in product management are, are very very sophisticated and they're at a level where if you're not in the world of product management they almost they, 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 they don't they don't make sense to people who look at product management from the outside so the thing to that that um Consult other consultants help me understand is the simplest levels of product management, the simplest applications of product management, figuring out what those are, add value to so many businesses so quickly because they're just not in that world. right? Okay. And they, they don't even see the challenges that, that are obvious to a product manager who's been in that space for a long time. So just showing them the light on this right. stuff and being given permission to do so, st- you add value in an hour. Great, great. And so because of that, I started to relax and feel comfortable that, you know, even even getting these guys to a phone call or a coffee, I could have a great conversation about the challenges that they were experiencing and just pick two or three typical toolboxes off the top of my head that would add value. It would instantly make sense to that owner, as long as I was being sincere and, and honest about the problem and I'd understood it correctly. So that relaxed me because it meant I didn't feel like I was asking for permission yep. to work for these guys i was effectively going out there to see if i could help Great, and um you know being in that mindset not not kind of feeling needy about needing this thing to say but just basically having a bit of fun and, yeah, right. and going and listening to a business and, and the challenges that they were having and potentially being able to suggest some some pointers that would help them made these phone calls actually an enjoyable experience from from the outset
0: superb i mean it brings you back to one of the you know core product management principles you're sitting there and you're listening to their problem and you're not trying to sell a solution you're just trying to understand that problem and the value all comes from that in time that's it Yeah, fantastic can, can I ask as product managers are always balancing and fighting with assumptions and prioritising assumptions what's, what's the, the biggest assumption you had that has caught you out what's your, been your biggest learning so far um, that, that you assumed something but oh it turns out <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it was time time yeah okay so um my assumption was that um or or rather I had an ambition that that things although I'm only two months in I I was hoping for for um things to be signed and on the line by the time I come around to February because again I'd set myself like a quarterly objective with OKRs against it Great. and one of those was a certain amount of revenue locked in with agreements um and the reality is that it just takes time And although it's important to me and anybody who's a consultant on the outside of a business and you're sending an email and, you know, you may not get a response for three or four days, Mm -hmm. the thing that I had to kind of challenge myself on was remembering the context of who I was talking to, that I was one thing and not even a certain thing on a list of a hundred on their to-do list. Um, So the assumption that, that people would engage quickly and make quick decisions about this was the big one. Um but again I tried to turn that into a positive thing, which was to say, what can I do to um help promote this up the priority list right. for prospective customers, either by being much clearer on the value or right. clearing blockers as Fantastic. to why they couldn't engage with me right now. Right. And again, that that helped a lot with, with some of the some of the um companies I'm now able to work with was to either, you know, provide them with toolkits over email or simplify the engagement to a quick phone call up front rather than a full workshop. Those kind of things meant that I had an engagement of sorts and they and, and more importantly, that customer was able to take action as quickly as possible around these things. Fantastic. Fantastic. And what's next for you? Well, so <laughs> being, being a product manager, obviously the world um, got a road, got a roadmap. <laughs> yeah, got a roadmap. Yeah. So you know, I think I think the big question for me is how this scales beyond me. So what's going right. through my mind at the moment is, you know, do I start with an affiliate model where I find other like-minded product managers who are looking to take that leap out of permanent employment and kind of go their own path? Um, do I potentially take on employees as well? And my big frontier for sure is about how I take everything that's in my head in terms of all these lessons I've learned and turn that into something that's transferable, something that, that doesn't require me to be in the room to convey that value to, to a customer.
0: Right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Look, Matt, I massively respect anyone who puts himself in a vulnerable position and you certainly have by taking that, that leap. So I, I wish you the, the very
1: best. Thank you so much.
0: It's been awesome to chat through. I know that it, there's many product people that have either been in product a long while or or less than a year that um, consulting opportunities either come along or they start to think about it and or they've moved to consulting and then want to move back yeah. <laughs> and yo-yo between the yeah, two. Yeah. But um, I think this is going to be a really valuable episode for the audience. So yeah. thanks for sharing everything and um, yeah, best wishes for the year ahead thank you so much thanks thanks everyone for listening to this episode um, thanks to Matt Stone for, for joining me and talking through his first two months of going into consulting as a product manager if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes on the Product Coalition European Tour please consider supporting the bushfire affected communities wildlife and volunteer firefighters of Australia and you can do that by going to bushfire.productcoalition.com until the next episode thanks for listening cheers